And this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. After this, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. At that time, the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. And so everyone returned to their own ancestral towns to register for the census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. And when they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in, snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. And they named him Jesus, just as the angel had commanded them to do. Now, unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And this son came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Lord, we want to stand around like uh, the shepherds did and like the Magi did, and behold your glory today, the glory of the only begotten one. We say you are indeed the greatest gift. Thank you for coming, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to tell a little story. So we have, it's not really that interesting, the story. It's just like a it's a thing about my kid. We got, we got three kids, right? And our middle son, Solomon, uh, he's like a little mini-me. If you know him, you see him running around. He's a mini-me in every way. And we are the math guys in the house, right? We love numbers. We love crunching numbers. And so Solomon, since the first day of December, has been waking up every morning, giving his mom and I the morning report of how many days until Christmas. And then this last Thursday... He started breaking it down into hours. And so he came in after his, his shower Thursday morning, stopwatch in hand. Dad, do you realize that in exactly 30 seconds, it's going to be 99 hours and 53 minutes until Christmas? <laughs> My son is filled with anticipation and excitement for the coming of a good thing, namely Christmas. Now, I'll be honest, like most kids, he's, he's mostly excited about one thing, right? And as much as we tell him that it's Jesus, it's Jesus' birthday, as much as I try to, like, make cool analogies, like, dude, when you see the lights, remember that Jesus is the light. Still, mostly what the kid is thinking about is gifts. And I get it. Who isn't excited about getting something uh, for free, especially, right? Everybody loves a free gift. But the reality is, half the stuff that my son is going to get tomorrow from family members and friends, 
he's going to use for a few days or a few weeks. And then if you've got kids, you know what I'm talking about. Eventually it's going to get put on a shelf somewhere or hidden under a bed. It's like this stuff almost has an expiration date for when it will stop meaning as much to him as it once did. And even the best gifts are this way. Even the grown-up gifts are this way. Everything will expire at some point. None of it is eternal. None of it was intended to be eternal. None of it will really last. In our community, uh, if you're visiting, I'm sure you saw it all over the news, that in our community we saw this in a really very real 3D way the last uh, few weeks. Just thousands of families' stuff was literally consumed by fire. I mean, families in this church have lost every earthly thing that they possess. And I, I can't personally imagine how hard that must be and how that must feel. And I know it won't make any of us feel any better, but I was struck this week that the reality that all of the rest of our stuff, all of us, is someday going to vanish too. Someday it's all going to be consumed by fire. All the stuff will, everything will someday fade away except for one thing. There is one gift that will last forever. And today, I want to talk about this gift. It's not a what, it's a who. Jesus is our greatest gift. And I would like to, this Christmas Eve morning, kind of unwrap that gift, so to speak, and see what's inside. So can we do this as adults in here? Can we kind of like grab a cup of coffee and put on our cumps, whatever that is, and our slippers, and kind of gather around the Christmas tree of our Heavenly Father, so to speak, and, and sit down and unwrap this gift that is his gift to us, this gift of Jesus, and see what is inside. Because just like millions of people all around the world are going to be stripping off wrapping paper tomorrow morning to see what treasure is inside? 2,000 years ago, the God of the universe stripped off his divine royalty to put on human flesh and become one of us. And so we want to look to him because it's there in his coming to us as one of us that we see the greatest gift ever given. So that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to kind of unwrap this thing and see what's inside. I mean, God gave everything to give Jesus. So there must be something profound there that we find in Jesus. And we will spend all of eternity trying to grasp it and discovering new parts of that gift. And we certainly can't exhaust it in a 35-minute sermon. But there is something for us to discover today if we are willing to discover it. So what does the gift of Jesus mean then for us? What does it say to us? What does it show us? What does it mean? Well, first of all, in God giving us the gift of Jesus, we see something. We see that the gift of Jesus puts on display the lavish generosity of God. From his incarnation to his ascension, Jesus puts on display the bountiful beneficence of God. And it's not just at the cross or even just at the resurrection that Jesus represents this undeserved grace and this gift-givingness of God. It's in every miracle. 
It's in every parable. Even just by Jesus being here at all, he's saying to the world, hey, God is kind. He is good. He loves giving. And among other things, I am here to prove it. We've been studying as a church on Sunday mornings the book of Matthew. And you see this all over the book of Matthew and in all all of the gospel accounts. You would actually be hard-pressed to find a parable that Jesus spoke where God isn't represented as this all-giving, unbelievably generous, lavishly generous God. He's the king in Matthew 18. We just looked at it a few weeks ago who forgave a debt of 10,000 talents, a debt that literally would have taken five lifetimes of every penny of wages to repay back. He's that king. He's the vineyard owner in Matthew 20 who paid his workers far more than they were worth. He is the father in the prodigal son story in Luke 15 who lavishly gave half of his inheritance away before he had died. And then his son went and wasted it. And when he came back, he's lavishly threw him this big old party to celebrate that he had come back, even though he was this disrespectful, wasteful son. God is the generous nobleman in Luke 19. He's the gracious landowner in Mark 12. He's the king who invites outcasts to the wedding in Matthew 22. It's actually hard to find a parable in the New Testament where God is not represented as giving away far more than you would ever think God would give. And in the life of Jesus, we see this excessive generosity everywhere. It's honestly extravagance that almost seems like it's bordering on the line of wastefulness when you look at Jesus. I mean, who needs 150 gallons of fine wine at a wedding? I don't know about you. We didn't have any alcohol at our wedding because I was 19 years old. (laughs) Who needs 150 gallons of fine wine at a wedding? That's Jesus. Or how is it that someone who's constantly miraculously turning uh, fish and multiplying fish and loaves can't avoid over-catering by 12 baskets? Why should his death cause not just earthquakes, dark skies, and... uh, veils, curtains to be torn, but also cause random, bunches of random people to start rising from the dead, right? It is excessive. Who produces 153 fish out of nowhere, so much so that it, it's tipping over the boat that they're, that's holding it? And then who does it a second time? The life of Jesus puts on display the lavish generosity of God. And in his coming as a babe, it was no different. It was God saying, I am holding nothing back here. You are getting the very best. God's gift of Jesus says God is infinitely more generous than we could ever imagine. The gift of Jesus also shows us that God is the initiator. A few years ago, I was having some really weird health problems and, uh, God sent me this gift, I felt like, in this book called Basking in His Presence, where the author teaches the readers this practice of what he calls silent prayer. It's this idea that you see in Psalm 46 where the psalmist says, Be still and know that I am God. Zach talked about it several uh, months ago. We talked about Sabbath, and he said what this actually says in Hebrew, the words uh, be still, 
It actually means stop working. Stop working. Stop doing. Stop striving. Be still and know that I am God. And so at the core of silent prayer, this thing I was learning how to do, is this idea of stopping. Being present with God like right here and right now. And letting God just be God. And it's the idea that God, not us, is the initiator of all things. See, often when we pray or relate to God in some way, it's actually the other way around, right? We see ourselves as the initiator. When there's a problem, we initiate the conversation with God to let our need be known or whatever it is. When we recognize, for instance, that we need to be saved and forgiven, we come to God and ask him to have mercy on us. And when we quiet our hearts long enough to pray, we initiate the conversation with God. And then as we pray, we make sure that we are working hard to listen to God as we're praying. We are working hard to keep our eyes fixed on him and not get distracted with whatever's happening while we're praying. And we work hard to be selfless in the kinds of prayers we are praying. And we make sure that we are going to keep a thankful heart as we do so. And it's not just with prayer, right? This kind of thinking frames the way that we interact with God in everything that we do. It's almost like how well we do this almost determines how well we think we're and how faithful we think we're being at following Jesus. It it can act like a barometer to us that tells us uh, if we're getting stuff done as a Christian or not. And how productive, so to speak, we're being in our relationship with God. But what we fail to realize is that the success of that relationship with God isn't based on our performance. It's based on His. And it's not based on our initiating. It is based on His. What we fail to realize is that nobody initiates anything with God. God is always the initiator. And all of our action toward God is actually us just responding to him. And though we may not realize it, God was always the one initiating, drawing all of it. And that's what the first Christmas was, right? It was God initiating interaction with mankind in a way that had never been done before. In him sending his son to take on human flesh and become one of us. And the angels worshiping and the shepherds following the light and the magi come and bringing their gifts and the animals, I imagine, just in their own animal-y way, tripping out on the creator, like coming. All of it was a response to what God had already done. He was already on the move. He was already coming. And so for me, silent prayer became this life-changing thing because it was me finally submitting to the fact that I wasn't the one who gets things done in this relationship. It was actually him. And that my whole life was designed for me to respond to what he had already and was already doing. And so I began to learn to come to God like one might come to a surgeon when you're in need of something being done. I just had, I've had two surgeries on my, like this area of my body in the last three months. I have another one next month, right? When you come to a surgeon, you are putting yourself 100% in the hands of that doctor. And they are doing 
all of the work. Right? Your only job is basically to like just give in. Now, when they put like an IV of anesthesia in you, you don't really have a choice but to give in, right? You're kind of forced to do that. But same difference. Your only job is to just give up, surrender, and let them do their thing because they're the masters at what they do. It's the same way with God, except with God it involves a little more voluntary participation. We actually have to let go and give up control and surrender to him being the initiator. But when we do... It's the same idea we're saying to God, you are the infinitely wise, great physician and healer. You are the one that I am in need of, and you know what I need. And before you, I am, like, my soul is filleted open, and you see everything bare, and you know exactly what needs to be done. And so when I come to you, God, I don't, I don't come like, hey, I got, this, I got this thing. Can we do this thing? Or I got this plan. Or, Lord, I need this. But rather, like, God, you know best. You know best. And so I'm just going to sit here. And that's what silent prayer is. It's just it's like being before God, being still and acknowledging he's God and letting him work in me, work in my soul like a great physician. God is already the initiator, guys. And so let's let him. Since the beginning of time, God has been the one initiating. We see this beautifully all throughout the Old Testament. And then perfectly in God sending his son, he's saying, I am initiating a relationship with you. We don't initiate salvation. God initiated it when he sent his son. And that means that we can stop working, stop striving Stop trying to perform and instead be still and surrender to the one who was already at work in us long before we were even aware that he existed, much less that we knew that he needed to be at work in us. Speaking of work, God giving Jesus to us as the greatest gift means for us that we don't have to perform. It's going to be a hard one for some people to hear in here this morning, but did you know that God doesn't need anything from us? God doesn't need anything from us. And that there is nothing that the Christian can do to ever make God more pleased with you than he already is. Hebrews 10.14 says, By one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Jesus performed perfectly. Because we never could. Even our righteous deeds, the Bible says, is like filthy rags before God. He performed in his life, death, resurrection, and ascension, and all of it. And what we get to do is just be recipients of that perfect work that Jesus has already done and respond to it. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, he was, he was almost at the end. And he was suffocating. We know this from science research of what would happen during the crucifixion. He was suffering. So to say anything would have been almost impossible. But with his very last breath, he like had to pull himself up on the nails so that he could get some air. And it says in the Bible that he shouted out with a loud voice, It is finished! Everything he had left. He wanted to say one last thing. And he said, It is finished. And he meant it. It was finished. All the work, listen to me, all the work that needed to be done was done. Jesus performed perfectly. So you can stop trying to. 
We could stop trying to. He finished the work, which means for the Christian that God is pleased with you and there was nothing you can do to change that. You know, I lived so much of my life um, working for a better and more perfect everything. I was, I needed a more perfect house for my family. Uh, more perfectly obedient children. Uh, a more perfect marriage and relationship with my wife. I, I'm a musician. I write songs and I tour around the world singing. I just wanted more people singing my stuff. And I wrote it off as just striving for excellence. And my wife wrote it off as calling me a big dreamer. And those things may be true. But then I read this book called Jesus Plus Nothing Equals Everything. And well, actually, I didn't read the book. I read a chapter of the book. (laughs) And if you know me, that's pretty good. And this chapter rocked me. Because in the chapter, the author writes this whole section where on a page he says, because Jesus is blank, you are now free to be blank. It's this whole list of stuff. And then about halfway down the page, this was written. Because Jesus is extraordinary, you are now free to be ordinary. And I said out loud, no, I'm not. I'm not free to be ordinary. Like, what? I, I need to be, like, incredible. What I do needs to be incredible. I, when I write a song, it needs to change people's lives. Otherwise, what am I doing? Like, what am I doing? When I raise my kids, they need to grow up to be world changers. Otherwise, like, what, what is the point of raising my kids? I'm not free to be ordinary. And it took me about a year to fully, finally wrap my brain around the fact that all the gratification I was looking for could be found and would be found not in anything I could ever do, but in what Jesus had already done. We read it earlier, but Jesus said in Mark 10, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Listen, friend, God doesn't need anything from us this morning. Jesus confronts our striving when he came. He confronts our striving and performance mindset and reveals that the deepest need we have is actually to receive him as a gift and to be served by him. The greatest need we have is to receive Jesus as a gift and to be served by him. And God sending Jesus says, I am the giver. That's what it says to us. It shouts from heaven. I am the giver and you are the recipients. In other words, I don't need anything. I don't need anything from you. And you can never give me anything that I will ever need. So just receive. Just receive. You know, I was taught as a kid, like many of us were at Christmas time, that when it comes to gifts, it's not about the receiving. It's about the giving. And this is true. We should teach this to our kids But that doesn't seem to be the reality of the Christmas story. The Christmas story is not about us giving anything. It is 100% about us receiving all things from God who is the giver. It puts on display the great, lavish generosity of God. God 
is the one in the story and every story who gives. John 3.16 says that for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. For even the son of man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Mark 10.14. The Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to rescue us in Galatians. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift in 2 Corinthians 9. God is the giver, guys. He is the generous, initiating, perfectly performing one. And that means that we are free to not have to be. And that should be good news. That should be good tidings of great joy for us this morning. That he has done it all. You know what else God giving Jesus shows us? Shows us that God sees and God knows. Do you have anybody in your life who uh, never lets themselves be in, in need of anything? You know people like that? They're, they're, the, they're the great providers, right? They are the ones who meet everybody else's needs. They're like the all-sufficient ones. Or at least that's how they portray themselves. They are the ones constantly giving, not being the recipients of stuff. And it's almost impossible to get these people to ever admit that they actually need something. God forbid, want something. We have a few people like that in our life. And uh, this month, one of them turned 70. And I just wanted to get something for him. Just something for him for his birthday. And it was like pulling teeth to get him to kind of, a little bit, indirectly mention that maybe he wanted something. And when it came out, it was like this. Well, I don't know. I mean, uh, maybe a Star Wars is coming out, so maybe I could see that. You know, that'd be... Really? Star Wars? 70 years old? And the best you can come up with is seeing Star Wars? And then I was at his office, his birthday week, and... Uh, and he was, he was listening to something on his computer with his speakers. And I heard his speakers crackling. And I was like, there's a broken tweeter inside of his speakers. His speakers are broken. He needs some speakers. Right, I felt like I struck gold. Because I, I found something, even though he may not have admitted it, I knew deep down. I found something that he needed and probably even wanted. And so I got the man some speakers. Some decent speakers too, Right. And he loved them. He texted me later and said how thankful he was and how appreciative he was. I think that he probably felt loved. I think that he probably felt taken care of and valued. Have you ever been on the receiving end of something like this? I'll be honest, man. When, when I have a, a need and somebody just sees it and then chooses to, on their own admission, meet that need, I feel so cared for and so loved. Guys, this is God every single day. Every day of our lives, Jesus said in Matthew 6, your father knows exactly what you need before you even ask him. And might I add, and before we even know that we need it. So what do you need this morning? Your father already sees and knows and is making provision for it. Now, I learned a long time ago, like many of us did, that the all-wise, all-knowing, all-sovereign God of the universe doesn't always see eye-to-eye eye with me when it comes to, like, what I think I need. But that doesn't change the fact that he does know exactly what I need. And he actually knows better than I do. 
And therein lies an opportunity once again for me to surrender and trust the one who knows and sees all things. And to once again remind myself, as simple and elementary as it sounds, that he is God and I am not. Before humanity ever knew the depths of our depravity and how desperately we needed healing and wholeness, God was already orchestrating a plan to bring us into his family where we would get everything that we need. God saw already and God knew. He started it way back in the garden when he declared that the seed of the woman, Eve, their seed would eventually crush the head of the serpent. Before Adam and Eve had any clue how far They and humanity were away from God. How desperately we needed a savior. God was already orchestrating a plan to redeem us to himself. God saw and God knew. And when we look at God giving the gift of his son, it should say to us from heaven, I see you. I see you and I know exactly what you need before you ever ask. Let me say it again though. That in God knowing what we need, he also knows that our greatest need is that we receive Jesus as a gift and we are served by him. So what do you think you need this Christmas? What are you hoping for this Christmas? Can I suggest that it will never compare to how desperately all of us need Jesus? And can I suggest that none of it will ever satisfy like Jesus will? The truth is, and it's a truth that I have to preach to myself every day, the truth is Jesus is better. Jesus is better. My wife's family does this thing at Christmas when it comes to food where they make an entire, like, full second Thanksgiving meal, right? Like cranberries, the stuffing, the turkey, the whole deal, like part two. And my wife loves it. It's what they've done her whole life. I grew up, I'm Italian, I grew up eating homemade meatballs and Italian sausage and cannolis every single Christmas. Right? So I don't get it. I don't get like the second Thanksgiving, but she loves it. She absolutely loves it. Listen, I'm, I'm Greek and Italian. I love food. I love food. But, and this may sound weird, but Jesus is better. He's better. Jesus is like the meal that never leaves you wanting or lacking anything or making you feel bloated because you ate too much gluten or non-organic dairy. (laughs) Some of you this Christmas just want relationships to be like mended. Right, man? But when it comes to relationship with God, Jesus is always the one on the other side of the relationship who is constantly pursuing you and doing everything that needs to be done for you to be reconciled to him. Jesus is it. Jesus is better. Jesus is the one in life that makes you richer than you could ever be, satisfying you with riches that will never fade away. Jesus is the light. Listen, for those of us who live in Ventura County, Jesus is the light that won't ever shut down when the Santa Ana winds blow and the fires of life come and destroy stuff. Jesus is the doctor that always gets it right every time, how he sees fit, whenever he sees fit to get it. He is the foundation that won't ever be, can't be shaken. He is the way to the Father and the truth that sets us free. Jesus is the vehicle that you've been dreaming of since you were a child, transporting you to the abundant life. He's the friend that never leaves you. He's the brother who understands you. He's the father that won't forsake you. He's the mother that forever approves of you. He's the home you always dreamed of that can't ever be repossessed, bought, borrowed, sold, or destroyed. 
He is the gift you always dreamed of but never knew you needed. He's the gift that satisfies and sanctifies and open eyes and illuminates minds to see things that we never dreamed could be real. He is the gift that keeps on giving. He is better. He's Jesus. The title, the title of this sermon is Jesus, Our Greatest Gift, right? And for sure, make no doubt about it, Jesus is the greatest gift we could ever receive. But let me say just two brief things this Christmas. What we can't forget, guys, is that we have this, the treasure of this gift living inside of us. This month of the, as a church, we've talked about that Jesus is our hope in the midst of hopeless times. That he is our light that shines in a dark times. He is our victor that conquered everything. We have this victory in him. This is the Jesus we are talking about. Guys, this is Jesus, the hope, the light, the victorious one, the all-sufficient one. And he has taken up residence in us, in you, son, daughter of God. Don't forget the treasure that we have found in Jesus. He is everything that we need and more. And he is everything that our community needs and more. He is everything that your parents need this season, that your children need, that your family, that your friends need. And he is living in you. You have this treasure hidden in your earthen vessel. And so many people have no clue that it's what, he's what they need. And yet you know, you know, some people in this room, some of you just don't know. You have no idea. I'm just telling you, the Bible says is that Jesus is your greatest need. And did you know that everything good, every good thing in this life is just a shadow of that. It's just a good thing pointing to Jesus. That comfort that we find in the embrace of a loved one, it's just a shadow of the comfort that you were designed to find in the embrace of your heavenly father. The acceptance that you find in that person that you respect affirming you. It's just a shadow of what happens when you come to God through Christ and God accepts you perfectly and forever. That contentment we expect to find from finally landing that job that we've been hoping for, finally getting that dream home or that dream car, or seeing that relationship finally reconciled or fitting into those jeans that are under your bed or finally retiring the peace that we hope to find from such and such finally being done or resolved. All of that good that we long and hope for, all of it is profoundly, deeply, and forever fulfilled in Jesus. And that's the gift that God gave to the world. It was Jesus. It was the perfect person of Jesus. Not the stuff he might give us or the place he might take us. It was him, Jesus. Guys, Jesus is the treasure. Jesus is the greatest gift. But like any gift, you got to receive it or not. You don't have to open your stuff tomorrow. But God already did it. He's given it to you. And maybe today, if that's you, you've been realizing, man, over the last 30 minutes, gosh, yeah, Jesus really is the one that I need. I, I just tell you, tell him. Just tell him today, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I need you. And then after you do, later on, tell the person that you came with. Tell them, hey, I talked to Jesus today. I talked to Jesus today, and I told him that I needed him. And the second thing is this. For, for those of us who already know Jesus, 
guys, like I said, you have this treasure. We have this treasure hiding in us, and it is everything that the world needs. I have a, our oldest is 13 years old. Her name is Selah. And Selah loves Barnes & Noble. She loves to read. She is this avid reader. I don't get it. Reading makes me sleepy. But she loves Barnes & Noble. And if you, she calls Barnes & Noble her boyfriend, which is like, 13-year-old girl, I'm cool with Barnes & Noble being her, her boyfriend, right? And everybody in our family knows if you want to score with Selah when it comes to giving gifts, just get her a Barnes & Noble gift card. She will forever, forever feel cared for and loved by you. You did it. Good job. And as a dad, I want her to experience the happiness that comes from receiving a gift that she loves. I love watching her eyes light up when she opens something on Christmas morning that she is excited about. I love it. It's like when we finally broke down and got our kids a dog a couple of Christmases ago, right? It was the best thing we could have ever done to them. But as perfect, listen, as perfect as a gift as that may have been for our kids, as loved as my daughter Selah may feel by receiving a gift card to Barnes & Noble, and as excited as she may be to discover what treasures lying behind her boyfriend's glass doors... There is no greater gift that I could ever give to my daughter than showing her Jesus and helping her to discover the treasure that Jesus is. If it was the best that God could give, then guys, listen to me. It is the best thing we could give. The greatest gift you could give this season is Jesus. For my daughter, Nothing will ever be as impactful or life-changing as me showing her Jesus through my life and words. And I'm going to mess it up probably super often. But you know what? I'm just the pre-show. I'm just the silly trailer before the, the feature film. I'm just the host is what I am. Hosting Jesus. I'm just introducing people to him. But he, he's the main event. And I'm going to do my best to represent him right. But at the end of the day, I'm going to leave and people should be left with Jesus. Because whether they knew it or not, he was the thing that they really were waiting for all along. He is actually the best thing that they could ever receive. I love what C.S. Lewis says about this when he talks about the things that humanity desires and longs for as treasures and gifts. He says, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Today there is a treasure awaiting every human soul. So I just want to ask this. Who are, you, who are you bringing that treasure of Jesus to? This season? Who in your life needs the hope that is Jesus? Who in your life needs the light that is Jesus? We have this light, this treasure hidden in earthen vessels. Billy taught it two weeks ago that Jesus is the light and he comes and he illuminates all the dark places and his light has been shown abroad in our hearts. And yes, we should reap all the benefits that come from Jesus being the light of the world in us. He is the greatest gift we could ever receive, but don't forget this season that he is also the greatest gift we could ever give. And what's mind-blowing to me this Christmas is that you don't have to use a credit card or go into debt to get him. He's free, guys. 
God already paid. It's like we've got an endless supply of eternal Barnes and Noble gift cards forever. So share the love. Share the love. Don't hide your light under a bushel. Let it shine this Christmas. Amen? Amen. Speaking of light, you should have gotten a a candle if you're over the age of seven. You should have gotten a candle when you came in. Go ahead and uh, take that out. We're going to turn down the house lights right now and dim the stage lights a bit. (coughs) And uh, if you guys could just stand with me holding those candles. Listen, just like you're, hold on, we're going to wait. We're going to wait to light them. Just a second. Just a second, guys. Just like. Just like you're holding that candle in your hand. Hold on, let's wait. Let's just wait a minute. Blow them out. Man, so antsy, so excited. Like my son, just counting down the minutes till you can light something on fire. (laughs) Just like you're holding that candle right now unlit in your hands. Let's turn the house lights all the way off, Brandon. Uh, Jesus said, you are the light of the world, right? So then let your light shine. And so today, here's what we're going to do. We're going to see what happens when each one of us just lights one other candle. When each one of us just signifies what would happen if we brought the light of Jesus just to one person. Just to one person. So in just a minute, what's going to happen is we're going to light one candle at nine different places in the room. Okay, like three in each section. And these guys are just going to light one candle themselves. In the middle, the back, and the front of each section. And then those nine people, listen, you're just going to light one candle. Just light one other candle. And once your candle is lit, then just light one candle. And just a little FYI, if if you have an unlit candle, you should be the one turning it because the wax falls, okay? And here's what's going to happen when each of us each one of us, just light one candle. Just one other candle. Just give your light to one person. We're going to see what's going to happen in like three minutes. Just started with nine of us. In three minutes, this whole room is going to light up. So on the screen, look, I'm going to put a, a little uh, instructions here for us, okay? Because it's hard for us to listen and remember things. So I want, to do, I want to do a spiritual exercise as we do this, okay? I want, to, I want to think of someone right now who does not yet have the light. Maybe it's someone in your family, a friend. Maybe someone you're going to see this Christmas. Someone who does not yet have the light. They may be the kindest person you've ever met or the worst person they've ever met, but talking spiritually, they are still in spiritual darkness and they need to see the light of Jesus that you have. And then the second thing in this spiritual exercise is after your candle is lit, You're going to light the person's candle next to you. But as we're doing this, let's be mindful of that person who we are thinking of that needs the light. And as we're doing this, ask God to shine his light abroad in their hearts. And this is a way for us, one, to pray for them. And two, for us to kind of like visually commit to, hey, I am the light that Jesus has put in their life. Like you are the one that God wants to use. And Involve in his bringing his light to that person. 